Welcome, everybody, to the Ultra Human Podcast, where endurance athlete and personal development coach Brooke Ramsey interviews ordinary people who do extraordinary things. You'll hear from doers, athletes, and warriors as we unearth the mindset and spirit behind people who push themselves to their limits and beyond. Hey, it's Brooke Ramsey, and this is the part of the podcast where I tell you why I love this episode and a bit about our guest. Sean Lemoyne and I talk about his involvement in Give to Live, a charity that has the goal of changing the world one person at a time, inspiring people to achieve extraordinary physical and emotional accomplishments, all in order to raise funds for charities that work to improve the lives of people suffering from long-term illness. Sean was involved with both the Big Swim, which is a mammoth swim across the Northumberland Strait, and the Big Ride, an epic cycle throughout some of the world's most beautiful settings. In this episode, I hope that you're inspired to take on a challenge not just for yourself, but with the understanding that it can actually inspire and raise funds for others. Let's jump in. Hey, Sean. Welcome to the Ultra Human Podcast. Hi, Brooke. How are you doing? I'm so awesome. I'm doing amazing and I'm super excited to chat with you and share with with all the listeners a little bit about your background and this cool organization you're a part of called Give to Live and you know to dive us in let's let's hear a little bit about your relationship with sport and kind of your athletic background and and history. Yeah, I guess when I was younger like uh, in high school and university I used to lifeguard on beaches out here in eastern Canada so I never swam competitively but I had to train with swimming and and running and whatnot for that and then had played uh, rugby in high school and and uh, college and university as well so um, got to dabble a bit with into triathlons and and uh, just yeah I've always enjoyed the water and cycling when you live on the coast, you, you have to do something with the water, hey? Yeah, I hope so. Yeah, if you, if you don't like it, then your options are limited. You've done a variety of different things then. So you were a lifeguard and you did rugby. And are you still doing triathlons or rugby? No, um, I, I guess the, the job I've had or careers but resulted in moving around a lot and living in some remote locations. And I'd actually hadn't been on a bike for quite a while until I got involved with a group out here, out east, and uh, had ended up buying a bike in 2009 to participate in one of their events. And so you hadn't really been on a bike. You hear about this, or I guess it's a friend who's associated with, a friend of yours who put this ride on. Then you decided to participate. And how long was this bike ride? It was 11 days. Uh, it was a relay-style event, so there were teams of seven and each team would cover a, a leg each day. And you would do, um, it was from Vancouver down to Austin, Texas. So collectively, you'd be, that's around 5,000 kilometers, I would estimate. But you'd be covering around 1,000 thereabouts if you were riding each day. What made you want to do this? That's kind of crazy. Someone who'd never really been on a bike before, obviously fit. But what drew you to doing this challenge? Sure. Well, I, I had been on a bike before, um, like with doing triathlon. I would say it had been 10 years since I'd done any serious cycling. I don't know. It's a challenge, I guess. Just seeing if you could do it and it's a good cause, basically raising money for uh, charities. 
mainly around either kids or for cancer research. What a neat way to see uh, the Western United States. So, This time that you got involved in 2009, what was exciting about it? What was fun? Like when you were, when you think back to those actual like 11 days participating, what surprised you about it? How mentally challenging it was actually. I don't feel good. I don't want to keep going. This is so far or... I mean, you were, you're tired. The, the first years of Give to Live, which is the name of the group, when they started doing these rides, they didn't have a lot of funding in place, so sponsorship. And so the costs, they try to keep their costs down as much as possible. So you'd be, normally wouldn't be sleeping in hotels or a nice warm bed. It'd be cots at fire halls or sometimes in churches and or we'd be billeted by a community. So, so you'd be getting maybe five hours of sleep and not necessarily the best sleep environment. And, and then repeating that where you're riding most of the day or driving in a van for 11 days. So you were exhausted. And then the, just the mental dynamics of it, interacting with a large group of people, a lot of them you, you don't know, you know, sorting out problem solving along the way and the route it was actually uh, the, the, the mental side of it was definitely uh, seemed to be more challenging than the physical component. And did that seem to be the case with like everyone who was on the, the ride was experiencing various challenges? And like, I, I know in team sport, like, you know, you're ideally one of you's up while the other one's down and you can like lift each other up. But like, what was that like with this kind of group of strangers? Yeah, it was good. You know, there's going to be, I guess, instances or examples where things aren't going well or, or uh, drama or whatnot, but generally it's, it's pretty positive. Everyone's kind of keeping, helping support the others. And, and uh, it's just like the whole social dynamic is fascinating. The team building, especially with complete strangers. And when you're on a bike with a group, sleeping in, you know, the same space and then driving in a van for maybe four or five hours of that day as well tight quarters you get to know people pretty quick everyone was doing this for the same reason everyone was was inspired or interested in this in give to live so tell me a little bit about give to live works and what draws people into supporting this organization and taking 11 days and doing a physical challenge or i know that there's other challenges which we can talk about too but why give to live the way they're set up you know, it's a not-for-profit charity organization. The story of how they came about is really fascinating. And I, I think they, they just strive to, to give back and, or provide opportunities for people to give back. But in doing so, also challenging yourself and both improving your life fitness-wise and, and then improving the, the lives of others through, through the, uh, the money that you, you raise and Uh, groups that they're supporting there's lots of opportunities you know every weekend i could go participate in a walk or like a 5k for a different charity but with give to live these challenges are that like they're they're a little bit more of a significant physical feat it seems yeah they get they get you to step out of your comfort zone that's for sure so what's your favorite give to live challenge that that you've done or that's out there the long rides were amazing. Definitely a big commitment of time. 
I've done a shorter day ride where it's a 300 kilometer ride around the Cabot Trail. They all have their, their, a different appeal. The, the swim that I did two years ago, or two summers ago, I should say, was, was definitely the, uh, the most interesting and exciting I found. Okay, so tell, tell me about this swim. It's a swim from New Brunswick, so it follows the Confederation Bridge across the Northumberland Strait to, uh, to PEI, Prince Edward Island. If you're as straight as an arrow, it would be around 14, 15 kilometers. And then with the currents and tides, uh, each year it can vary from that distance to, I think some people taking them up to 24, 25 kilometers. There's like this mass of people, everyone's starting in New Brunswick, and it's not a race. So there's probably like, various physical capabilities people who start out doing this but like said how does the event itself like happen so every swimmer has a paddler for safety reasons and then they've got some like logistics boats and and rescue vessels on the water they break it up into three legs based on your pace that you would have determined through your training and yeah you start in the morning when the tide is starting to go out and the, the paddler is actually the one that's, that's leading. So they're the ones kind of taking the bearing and determining where you're going to go. And your, your job is to keep a certain distance from, the, from your kayak and, and just swim. I just imagine, Neil, you get to the other side, you're in PEI, and like you're watching other people come in and you know, you're giving your paddler a hug, right? Because you've done this together. What is that like to just feel like, oh, I'm a part of this big thing and we all did this? Pretty amazing. You have a hard time walking. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Well, because how long would you have been on the water? I mean, it's varying every year, but like. So so that year we had, I think there was 48 swimmers. And usually swimmers, the faster, so the faster you're going, the less the currents are going to influence you. So they've had swimmers that have, I think I've done it under four hours. And then there are swimmers that have taken 10 hours. So that year, I think it was eighth or ninth out of the water, and it had still taken me seven hours, and it was 21 kilometers. Quite a year that year, it sounds like, that the tides and yeah. the weather conditions, yeah. It was, yeah, it was a big year distance-wise, that's for sure. And what organization was Give to Live raising money for that year? Yeah, the swim's traditionally gone towards... Kids camp down in Annapolis Valley, Nova Scotia. It's called Brigadoon. Basically provides services for children that have, say, chronic illness or cancer. And it services, I, I believe, all of Atlantic Canada, except for their program for Crohn's. I think it's the only kids camp in Canada for that. That's amazing because for this charity, I'm sure, coming from my knowledge of the philanthropic sector and not-for-profit, like, it's challenging, you know, for these organizations to, to continually every year support themselves and come up with unique ways to fundraise. And there's varying levels of government support year to year, and it's hard to budget. So an organization yeah, like absolutely. Give to Live that's like raising funds for, for this camp, like that makes a huge difference for the camp. No, absolutely. They organize events to go down and visit the camp and, and see the facilities. And, and uh, it's a pretty special place. Wow. And for you personally, like participating in these, these long events, like these days of cycling or 
hours of swimming with give to live like what what do you notice about yourself that has either changed as a result of participating in this or like you've you've realized or noticed by by being a part of something like this you know being in a position to to give back i guess has been important especially when you're training for something like this too it, you get a lot of things in order <laughs> personally and and professionally just i mean you know you know just with the scheduling of your time and and it's it's uh, you certainly feel good when you're in that zone and and uh trying to prepare for one of these events so it reminds me of that idea like you know that people talk about with like volunteering or or charity or something like where you know i got more than i gave you know i got more from it so i love that what you're bringing up with like the value to you of like doing the training and how that has positive benefit across your life. But the reality is, is like some of us might not be motivated to do that just on our own. And so having something like this charity or, you know, big challenge at the end of the season or like, you know, that we're working towards might actually get us out of bed (laughs) and have us training. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one thing I find with the group, it's like a family. Mm. So once you're in, it's hard to get out. (laughs) They provide support tools as well for people that participate. So, you know, they give you an idea of what you need to do for workout schedules. They give you fundraising ideas because that's, I mean, a lot of people find that difficult or uncomfortable. So it's, it's yeah, they kind of basically create a uh, support network for you. Are there any big challenges coming up? Not specifically. I, I used to do orienteering competitions when I was younger. And so there's a uh, search and rescue in Halifax. They put on a, an event every year where it's um, an eight or four or 24 hour orienteering rogaine so, event, I guess is what it's called. So, so I'm, I would be hoping to get back to doing the 24 hour cause I had done that a number of years ago and it's a fun event. Did the eight hour again last year for the first time in a long time. So so that's amazing. So tell me about this. So it's like you get you get a map of places you need to go, or you just you're just using your compass, or what's yeah. a Rogaine event? So yeah, so they set up a course. So there'd be like a little flag at different locations, and say a course in the past it would be like 110 square kilometers, and uh, you can you can yeah basically if you're doing the professional group, it would be. Uh, your team, usually two people, and it would be map and compass. And you've got a set period of time to get to as many of the locations as you can get to. And it goes right through the evening if you do the 24 hour. And, and, and is uh, this on foot or? Yeah, it's on foot. All on foot. All on foot. They do it in the spring when it's uncomfortable and cool, usually wet. So what makes a good orienteer? I don't know anything about this. This is amazing. The map reading is a big part. You know, in the evenings, I've, I, I learned you got to keep your cool and just kind of yeah, deal with the situations as they arise. And you get nervous, right, when you're in the dark and not having an, an idea where you are. So plays with your mind a bit. I can imagine. So a little bit like disorienting and like maybe stimulating that like flight or freeze response. Like, why am I doing this? Yeah. Uh, when you find one of those points in the dark, it's like it's like a mini party. <laughs> You're pretty excited. <laughs> oh, I imagine. And so the 24-hour one, 
if you're doing it like in a pair, would every would both of you like stay awake for that time or? Yeah, you yeah, like each team gets to choose. So you could take. I'm sure some people take a sleeping bag and a and a mat to rest on, and then others are just like when we would traditionally do it, we would just go all night and maybe take a couple cat naps if we were really tired. How many people would come to an event like this? Is orienteering? It's quite popular, I would say, for yeah. the search and rescue group. Like it's a volunteer group. This is their probably their main fundraising event. And uh, I would say they're getting probably a couple hundred people at least that are coming to these events now from all over Eastern Canada and even the New England states. It's so cool because I think, I don't know, I use my phone GPS. <laughs> the only time I ever use a map is when I'm in the canoe. And like Heidi would tell you, she's better at it than I am. But like, you know, I don't know a lot of people that have even, like own a compass. You know, it's not really like a, a thing anymore, <laughs> or at least in my circles, you know, in the circles I run in. So yeah, sure. that's so cool. It's this like kind of um, historical skill almost, or like skill that maybe people 100 years ago had more of. I mean, if you're spending time outdoors, you, you, and you're right, like I think most people are using like GPS or their phones. And, but I mean, those are only as good as the, uh, as the batteries last. And so... It's a kind of a, a safe backup if you, if you have that skill set in it's, mm-hmm. and it. And it's the challenge, the challenge of being out and being able to stay on your feet for 24 hours. And- yeah. So obviously, like being able to stay on your feet for 24 <laughs> hours is like a big part of the equation. So, Sean, if someone listening is like, oh, I want to take on a challenge like that or, or wanting to, to try something new, what advice would you have for them, you know, mentally and also just how to find something cool to do. The biggest thing is just really breaking it down. Like if you are thinking about doing something where you're, like you said, you're going to be on your feet for 24 hours or it's a long endurance event, like the swim with give to live. Um, I think what made it, what makes it manageable is just kind of breaking it down. So like with the swim, we'd be doing breaks every 45 minutes, but we would regulate that break and keep the break to a minimum of a minute then you're just focusing on the next 45 minutes i love that uh, yeah the idea of chunking it down kind of making it manageable it makes it a little more realistic i guess um i I think we tend to put things in a box and society does and kind of say here's what our limits are and i think that's a good approach to being able to step outside of that box and kind of move those walls that we we thought weren't movable Oh, that's cool. So like, it sounds like taking like a real stock of what the challenge is, what I'm actually dealing with allows us to, yeah, move the wall, go a little bit farther than maybe we would have when we were just looking at it as one big thing. Absolutely. And and same for the, for like the orienteering, it's breaking it down by point. You know, you focus on the next point and then you kind of, if you're getting tired, you kind of reset and you just think of, okay, well, I've just got to get to the next point and then and then repeat. When you're in that moment of, okay, I'm, I'm just focusing on the next 45 minutes. I'm just staying in this right where I am. Do you find it easier like to be present? Cause that's like something, you know, we're all looking to do. We're all like, we hear so much about how being present and mindful is like healthy for our brains and makes life more enjoyable. It sounds like it's easier to do that when you're taking on a challenge like this. I would agree. Absolutely. 
if you start thinking about the end, then you're kind of like, oh, well, am I going to be able to do it? And, uh, you know, all these thoughts start going through your head, whereas if you're breaking it down into short periods of time or, or short steps, then it allows you to kind of focus and get more out of, I guess, the experience. But I think it also kind of gets you in the right mindset as well. It Life's more fun when we're there, isn't it? It, it is. I've had to work on a lot, actually, because it's uh, my mind is uh, is busy at the best of times. So, so that you know, just focusing on doing practices and even applying it to work or to you know these pursuits, and it makes a huge difference being in that present moment. Something I love to ask everybody, Sean, that comes on the podcast is either what the what the most courageous thing you've ever done is or what it means to you to to have courage so take your pick i'll, I'll take the courage one i guess because actually it, i think courage really comes down to being uncomfortable mm-hmm. and and being willing to kind of act on that discomfort rather than avoiding it and yeah and doing it in a way that i think you're just going to grow as a and uh, and those around you as well. So, I love that because to me that the reason I was just inspired to ask that is because I did see a connection between that being present. So being present to the fact that I'm uncomfortable and I'm going to do it anyway. Yeah, absolutely. Like I would say if anyone was thinking about doing something like an outdoor, you know, pursuit or one of these activities or endurance event or if if they're comfortable doing it, then, then maybe they need to to step it up a notch or, or, or take that next step. Um, I think once they get into that discomfort, that they'll be surprised at what they're actually able to accomplish. When Heidi brought up that she wanted to do the thousand, the Yukon a thousand race, which is um, about 600 miles farther than any of the races we've done before. She kind of said that, you know, she talked about how past race, the one that we've done a few times together is like, it's kind of easy now. It's not scary anymore. It's not intimidating anymore. So making the choice to take on something that, that feels like a bigger stretch, like kind of activates that, that maybe that desire we all have to like be courageous. You know, the reason we love those like superhero movies is because we see people acting courageously. So thanks for kind of giving me a new frame of mind for that too. Oh, well, um, you know, when I heard from Heidi about what you guys have been doing, I have people saying, wow, you did that swim or, you know, you did that race and, and, but, you know, I look at what you guys are doing and it's, I think the same thing. It's like, wow, that is, that is impressive. That's amazing. And it's all perspective, eh? We just need to be stepping out of these comfort zones and, and pushing ourselves. And it's pretty amazing what we can achieve. Absolutely. And when we share these kind of stories about what things you can do, like that there is this give to live organization that allows you to take on these challenges in kind of a, in a coordinated way and in a way that you're a part of a community or the races that Heidi and I do where there's an, an established community that is like a bunch of people that have all decided they're going to try it, you know. It's really cool that these connections we have with other people can like help us build up to these challenges too. I think a lot of times people are, how am I going to do this on my own? And, and I would say the first thing is, is that you're not doing it on your own. There are there are opportunities to get out there and, and be supported and, and kind of, you know, be uncomfortable in, in a, you know, with a support 
group in place to allow you to do that or enable you to do that. So, yeah, we all want to be a part of each other's courage stories, I guess. Yeah, or or be sitting around a fire and and hearing others. Yeah, amazing, amazing. Sean, it was fun to sit a, sit around the um, fire with you <laughs> and share stories and and just kind of in closing, how can people learn more about Give to Live and and taking on these challenges? For sure. So so Give to Live has a uh, website. So if you if anyone wanted to Google Give to Live, and I can provide it to you as well, Brooke. If if there's an avenue for you to share, you know, Give to Live. I think it's all one word. dot ca if Sammy Hagar's song comes up, Give to Live, that is not the correct website. Awesome. Awesome. Thanks, Sean. I'm sure. Um, and I'll, I'll post it in, in the notes to the episode. So thanks so much for all your time and uh, sharing your story about the swim and the orienteering and giving us all an inspiration about why we would want to and how to take on a challenge like this. The Ultra Human Podcast is produced in the backyard of the Rocky Mountains in Alberta, Canada by Joseph Tubb on behalf of Infinite Courage Coaching.